right? Well, how many of you know that we desperately need the Word of God? We desperately need the ideas and the thoughts of God uh, for ourselves, for our families, for our society, for our culture. We need God's ideas. And so this morning we are continuing in our series called Taking Your Place at the City Gates. And uh, two weeks ago we began by looking at uh, the importance of godly biblical values in the city gates. And we looked at what it means to be salt and light in the city gates. And in our culture. So last week we began to look at Joel chapter 1 and especially chapter 2. We saw that in Joel's day there was this awful plague of locusts and they had another uh, disaster about to come upon them. And the prophet called them to repentance, to return to the Lord with all of their heart. And we saw how it looks like they did return to the Lord. They did call out to Him and God did indeed uh, respond by relenting from the calamity that was about to come. And it even says that uh, he said, I will repay you and for the years that the locusts have eaten. And God did indeed leave behind a blessing. God responded to them returning to him. And, in, and looking at these things, we also saw that in our own day, we're in desperate need of a return to God in our cultures, in our families, uh, uh, in, our, in our society. And uh, we saw that in the midst of all, we have all these disruptions and plagues that we're going through. And uh, government's not going to save us. Government is not our savior. I mean, they can do some good things sometimes, but they're not our savior. And, and science and medicine aren't our savior. In spite of all the blessings that they are, they're good things and they're blessings. Still, they're not our savior. Only the Lord God is our savior. And we need a return to the Lord God. Amen. Now, so in the coming weeks, we're going to look at a couple of these city gates um, more specifically uh, and get into what God says about these gates. Because if you're going to be salt and light in the city gates, you have to know what God says about these city gates, right? But today, what we're going to do is continue on in the rest of Joel chapter 2. And we're going to see something here in these verses that's really modern, that's really up to date, and is so needed right now. Yet at the same time, I, I've noticed that often when people talk about needing... Uh, a return of God to the, uh, to the city gates. This is often the thing that is neglected and, and, and overlooked. And yet it's something that's so vital, needed right now. So let's look at it. We're going to read the, the entire passage. Then we'll come back and unpack it together. It's Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And it says this. He says, And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Would you bow for just a moment in prayer over the Word of God? Dear Heavenly Father, God, please pour out your Spirit on us. God, uh, may we each hear the call of God in our hearts today. May we each, God, experience the outpouring today and in our everyday lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 All right. Now, how many of you have heard these verses somewhere before? Right? Okay, a bunch of you, right? Now, if you've heard them before, they, they sound familiar to you. There's probably a good reason for that. The reason is because these very words 
from someone who a lot of people would consider to be just kind of a, an obscure Old Testament prophet, the prophet Joel, right? These very words were quoted by the great apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, on the day that the church was born, on the day that God began to do something brand new in the earth, Peter quoted these verses. So let, let's look at them a little bit more closely in that context, right? So we'll be looking a little bit at the book of Acts now. Now, starting in chapter 1, the resurrected Jesus told his followers that they should stay in Jerusalem until they receive the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he said uh, uh, that they should wait there. Now, I don't think they knew exactly what that meant or exactly what that was going to look like, but I think they knew that they would know it when they saw it. And so it says they continued to meet together in this upper room in Jerusalem, waiting for this promise of the Father that Jesus spoke about. And, and then in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it says that when the Jewish feast of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place when suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And it goes on to say this, and the apostles were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, some of you are shaking your heads. No, it doesn't say that? Let me check. And the prophets were all filled with the Holy Spirit, right? No, it doesn't say that? Let me check again. And the, oh, the pastors were filled with the Holy Spirit. Still shaking your head. The men were all filled with the Holy Spirit. No, the women, the adults. No, what does it say? It says, no. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Men and women, young and old, the poor and the well-off, right? Adults and children, apostles and people who were not apostles. And this outpouring here caused a stir and drew some attention. People began coming from all over the city to see what in the world was happening here. And this crowd comes together, it says, made up in verse 5 of God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So here, all these, it says God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, what is going on here? Why are, where are all these God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven coming from? Why, why are these people appearing here? Well, the reason is because every time there was a Jewish feast, Jews who were spread across all of the Roman Empire would come uh, on a pilgrimage to participate in these feasts. So Jerusalem was usually filled to capacity and overflowing in the surrounding areas, overflowing with people who were there for the feasts. And so all of these people who came for these feasts, besides speaking Jewish, they also spoke the native languages of where they came from. And so... Here it says that they're amazed because they were per and perplexed because they were hearing people speak in these languages, praising, declaring the praises of God in these languages. They were amazed, they were perplexed. Some of them, it says, made fun of them. But some of them asked this in verse 12, What does this mean? You know what? That was the right question. That was the right question to ask. And so beginning in verse 14, Peter stands up with them and the other apostles and begins to explain it to them. And he says, Listen, Listen carefully to what I say. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And then he goes on to quote almost verbatim these verses from the prophet Joel that we just read. He's saying, these verses spoken some 900 years ago are being fulfilled right now in what you are hearing and seeing. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And then right after quoting these verses, he goes on uh, to show them and to tell them that this Jesus was crucified on the cross for their sins. And that he rose again from the dead. And that now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's the one who's pouring out this Holy Spirit, this thing that they're, that they're seeing and hearing right before their ears and before their eyes. right? And he went on to say that they should all repent and turn back to God with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized in his name with faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And it goes on to say that 3,000 people were added to their number on that day. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit resulted in 3,000 people coming to faith in Jesus on that day. And then, it doesn't stop there. As you look at the rest of the book of Acts, you see that it wasn't just for a one-day experience. You know, it wasn't just an event that they planned on the certain day that just came and then went, you know, and then you go back and say, wasn't that a great event? It wasn't a one-day thing. You know, I think too many people look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit as this thing that, you know, um, happened to me way back there, you know, five or 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. That happened way back there when an evangelist came to town or, or the pastor really got the preaching and, uh, and the Holy Spirit fell. And I got it way back then and now I've crossed that off my spiritual to-do list. Can I tell you something? No, 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 no. The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Do you know where, when it says that? It's in the present continuous tense. And it means... Be being filled. Be in a present, continuous state of being filled with the Spirit. You know what? Because I think that the reason is, I, I think we tend to be leaky vessels. The Bible says we're vessels of clay. We're not what we will be one day when Jesus is revealed. We're vessels of clay. And so we tend to be leaky vessels. Someone once said we're cracked pots. And so we need to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled. And so the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it continued and it spread, resulting in many, many thousands of people turning away from sin to faith in Jesus in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the rest of the Roman Empire to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's how the book of Acts unfolds. You know, many people call this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever heard someone refer to this book as the Acts of the Holy Spirit? Well, you know, I think a better name for this book would be, I'm sorry, the Acts of the Apostles. I'm getting ahead of myself, right? The Acts of the Apostles, right? People call that. A better name would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ. The Acts of the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ. Because as you read it, that's what you see. An unfolding of this work of the Holy Spirit that began on the day of Pentecost and continues all the way until the day Jesus returns. All right, so in the time we have left now, there are three things that I want you to see about this outpouring. Three things that I think God wants us to see because if we're going to be salt and light in our city gates, we need the power 
and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to do that. So three things I think God wants us to see this morning. The first is this. This outpouring is for all believers. It's for everyone. All the followers of Jesus. Verse 4 says, all of them who were in the upper room, every last one of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Joel says, and Peter says here in verse 17, in the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Not just pastors, right? Not just um, evangelists or even just Sunday school teachers or anything like that. The outpouring is for all God's people. Going on, God says this, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Uh, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now let's look at this part just a little bit closer for a second, right? A couple things I want you to notice here in these verses. First is this. He talks about visions and dreams. And it kind of speaks to us a little bit about what will come to be known as the gifts of the Spirit, right? It's revelation that God gives to a person, like a gift of the Spirit, like a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, right? The word of insight, uh, uh, something that God gives to to a believer for a specific situation to meet a specific need. And he says, your ordinary people... Your ordinary believers will start to receive these kinds of things. Now before, these kinds of revelations were only for special people like prophets and and priests. Maybe a king or someone like that might get one of these types of revelations. But now, he says these kinds of revelations are for all believers. Everyone who's being filled with the Holy Spirit. All followers of Jesus. And if it's everybody, you know what? That means... It's you. If you are a person who's being filled with the Holy Spirit, then God wants to and is able to give you these kinds of revelations that meet specific needs, like a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, you know, or maybe even a gift of healing or something along those lines. But, you know, a lot of people get really hung up on this idea that, you know, I saw how the evangelist did it when he came to town, and you know what? I can't look like that. I can't sound like that. I would feel weird sounding like that. Well, you know what? You don't have to sound like anyone else to be used this way. You don't need to look like or act like anybody else. As a matter of fact, God doesn't want you to look like or act like or sound like anybody else. God is able to speak prophetically through you to your world, to the world around you using your voice. What you sound like. It may look like, you know, you're, you're, you're with someone and God may just give you a little insight into something you're, they're going through. And you might say, hey, you know, are you going through something like this? And j- just ask. You know, and that's the Holy Spirit bringing something out. You know, well, how how do you know that? It says, well, I, I just felt in my spirit like maybe God was showing me that. And so can I pray for you? You know, it can be something as simple as that. Or maybe you see someone going through something and say, hey, would it be okay if I pray for you? And you pray, you pray the prayer of faith, you know, and God begins to do something. God can use you in your voice. God can give you these gifts of the Spirit, these revelations and and, and these dreams that he's talking about. Young men will dream dreams and old men see visions. And then after that, twice he says this in this passage. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I will pour out my Spirit and they will prophesy. Now, often, you know, when we see this word, I think a lot of us begin to think 
about the gift of prophecy that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We immediately go to that idea, this gift of prophecy, right? Well, I think that here, this word prophesy is intended to be taken in the broadest sense possible. Not so much in the narrow sense of a prophetic word given to the body of Christ, to edify the body of Christ at a certain time of gathering. But in the broadest sense possible, God is speaking to the world. God has a message for the world. And he speaks to the world through the body of Christ. As we hold out the word of life, the word of God, the body of Christ is God's prophetic voice in the world. And the Apostle Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. He said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You know, now it's really easy to say right about now. You know, well, Pastor Paul, that's the pastor's job, isn't it? That's the missionary's job, right? I mean, that's the evangelist's job, isn't it? Isn't it their job to do, to do those things? And the answer, well, is, well, yes, absolutely. It's the pastor's job to preach the word of God. It's the missionary's job. It's the evangelist's job, right? But it's also the job of every redeemed person in the body of Christ. Now, it may not look like, you know, preparing a sermon or preparing a whole Sunday school message all the time, but they preach the, the, the word of God that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, or they proclaimed it, or they shared it. It was the job of everybody. You know, as, as the book of Acts continues, you, you see the Holy Spirit um, continuing to work. And you do indeed see people like Peter and Paul and James and John all preaching the Word of God, proclaiming the Word of God. But you also see the Holy Spirit working through everyday, average, redeemed people. In Acts chapter 8, it says that those who had been scattered from Jerusalem by Saul's persecution, it says they preached the Word wherever they went. I mean, this is ordinary people just sharing the Word of God and what God had done in their lives in the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts 11, it says that those who were scattered by Saul's persecution, they went back to their cities, and these ordinary people um, went back to their cities, it says, spreading the Word of God. Spreading the Word of God. I kind of like that image. You know, I don't know about you. I like a peanut butter sandwich. Do you? And when I make a... Okay, Nate back there likes a peanut butter sandwich. When I make a peanut butter sandwich, Nate, I don't know if you're like me, I like to spread it on, thick, right? I mean, I like to, if you ask me a question when I've eaten that peanut butter sandwich, you got to wait a minute. Okay, I like to spread it on kind of thick there, right? And uh, I kind of like that. They weren't just dropping the Word of God here or there. It says they were spreading it. They were spreading it all over, not just a doll up here or a doll up there or a doll up there, right? Uh, they were spreading the Word of God. Let the word of God spread. And it goes on and says that, that some of them went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. With who? With these ordinary people, untrained, ordinary people. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, I mean, what's going on here? These aren't pastors. These aren't clergy people. What's going on is the fulfillment of of Joel chapter 2. What's going on is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 2. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. They are speaking for God. They're God's prophetic voice in the world. God's speaking to our culture, to the gates in many cities, through the body of Christ. Why? Because the body of Christ is God's prophetic voice in the world. And by the way, keep in mind, that, you know, when you're tempted to say things like, well, you know, I could never be like the Apostle Peter. 
You know, I could never be like the apostle Paul or James or John. Right? Keep in mind that Peter was just a fisherman who spent some time with Jesus. I mean, James and John and Andrew, they were just fishermen who followed Jesus and obeyed Jesus. I mean, Matthew was just a tax collector. I mean, basically, Matthew was just an accountant who was collecting taxes who followed the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and I kind of like it, like that one person who said when asked, you know, what do you do? And, and he replied by saying, I'm an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ who's cleverly disguised as an office worker. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, that person had some wisdom. Um, their first identity was, I'm, I'm here representing Jesus. Everything I do is about representing Jesus, and I do that through being an office worker. Can you put yourself in that situation for a second? I'm an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I do this by being what? Whatever you are, fill in the blank. I do this by being a nurse, or a doctor, or, 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 a, or a construction worker, whatever, whatever you are. I'm an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, honestly, it looks like the Apostle Paul is really the only one who had any advanced religious training at all. So I guess that means God can use people who've been to seminary as well. Okay, one amen on that. That was good. Awesome. Praise God. You know, too often we just relegate it to special people. It's the special people. Right? Uh, special people in our world. Well, the problem is the special people can't be in your world all the time. Right? The people that you might think are special people, you know, specially trained, can't be where you're going. Only you can be where you're going and in your world. And God wants to speak through you. It's for all people. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And then secondly, it's for all times. You know, it can be easy to look back on those times of the gospel and those times of the book of Acts and say, man, they were great days, weren't they? I mean, what it would have been like to be there during those days and see that's too bad. Those days are gone. Can I tell you something? In God's eyes, those days are not over. Look at verse 17. He says, in the last days... I will pour out my spirit, God says. And then he says all this stuff about uh, pouring out his spirit on believers in the next few verses. And then in verse 20, he begins to talk about the sun and moon and stars and turning to blood and all of that. And the, before he says, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now, that's the return of Jesus. That's the day Jesus returns. So this outpouring he's describing in these verses goes all the way from the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost... All the way until the day that Jesus returns. It doesn't end in God's view. It's not supposed to stop before then. God wants to pour out His Spirit and it's for today. You know, and I know there have been some spiritually dark times in our, in our history. But over and over again, God has responded to spiritually hungry people and sent times of revival and, and times of of refreshing. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You know, just recent history, the Moravians, study the Moravians sometime. They had a hundred year prayer meeting that resulted in missionaries going across the globe. I mean, think about the Methodist revivals, the first great awakening in our country, the second great awakening, the Welsh revivals, the Pentecostal Azusa Street revival that has gone throughout the world over the last hundred years and is continuing to expand. You know, say, did you know that in the year 1900, there were zero Pentecostal and charismatic believers in the world? Today, there is something between 580 and 644 million Pentecostal and charismatic believers in the world. Say, God 
is still moving today. And this is why I say, you know, the question isn't, is God going to send one more revival before, before Jesus returns? God, we're in the midst of a 200-year-long revival. And when you look at the history of what God's been doing in the last 200 years, we're in the midst of a 200-year-long revival that's increasing in its intensity. And so the question is, am I going to be part of it? Am I going to participate in it? God still moves by His Spirit today. Look at verse 39 of this chapter. Uh, Peter has shared these verses from Joel, and he's explained that, that they're, what they're seeing is a fulfillment of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel spoke about, and that Jesus promised in the, in the gift of the Father. And he's explained the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and how Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father now, pouring out this Holy Spirit. And he goes on in verse 39 to say this, The promise, that is the promise of the Holy Spirit, this promise of Joel, the promise of the outpouring, and a prophetic word from God through his body. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's you. That's me. Peter's talking about you and me here, who those who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. It's for all times. You know, I think one of the coolest aspects of, of the book of Acts when you read it is the fact that it has no ending. I mean, a number of commentators have mentioned this, that when you read the book of Acts, there's no formal ending to it. It's just like, it just kind of stops. It, it just kind of ends, right, With, without any ending on it. And uh, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what, he's not done. I mean, he's, Luke may be done writing, but the Holy Spirit is not done pouring out, is not done his work. The promise is for all believers, and it's for all times. And lastly, the promise is for all Places, You know, it can be real easy, I think, to get comfortable with where. I mean, the location with the where the Holy Spirit is being poured out. I mean, we get really comfortable with our situation and not see the other places that the gospel needs to go. I mean, it happened in the book of Acts, right in the middle of this Holy Spirit outpouring. Remember Jesus told his disciples that when the Holy Spirit was poured out, they would be his witnesses where? in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But it looks like by the time we get to Acts chapter 8 that the body of Christ has grown, you know, pretty comfortable in Jerusalem and Judea. And why not? Because things were going great. Thousands of people were coming to Christ. And it looks like even many who had come to Jesus on that first Pentecost Sunday, who had come from all areas of the Roman Empire, it looks like many of those had decided, you know what, I'm just going to stay here for a while and, and enjoy this outpouring here. And so things were going great. People were coming to them. People were coming to Jesus. It looked like, I mean, fish were just jumping into the boat. And, and many, many thousands are coming to this church in Jerusalem. Why would anybody mess with that? But God wanted to do great things in other places, in all places. And so in Acts chapter 8, it says this persecution breaks out. And many Christians are scattered back to their cities, to Samaria and to Antioch. And it says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, on the surface, I mean, this seems terrible, right? I mean, it's an awful development. I mean, you had a growing church of thousands of people where the Spirit was moving, and now the apostles are the only ones left there. I mean, that, I would think if I was there, boy, that's terrible. 
Thousands of people in church, and now just the apostles are left. But what the devil meant for evil, God turned to good. You know, God can do that. What the devil means for evil, God can turn to good. Yeah, you can give God some praise. Amen. You know, and as we've seen, uh, those Christians that went back to their cities, um, they started groups of believing Christians that sprang up in all of these cities throughout the Roman Empire, leading eventually to the gospel spreading to Europe. And many historians believe that Thomas even made it as far as India with the gospel. It's for all places. You know, but it's so easy to become comfortable when the gospel has come to you. It's easy to become comfortable. You know how the Scandinavian peoples were Christianized? Anyone know that, that story? You know, the gospel spread all across Europe. It spread to France and to Spain and to, to Germany and even to England. But it stopped there. For hundreds of years, nobody went to the Scandinavian countries. I don't know, maybe they felt it was too cold or something. I, I, I don't know, but nobody went there. So for hundreds of years, the Scandinavian people remained in pagan polytheism. And do you know how they got exposed to the gospel? When the Vikings began to raid Europe, and sometimes they would they would take back people that they had captured as servants and as slaves, and, and these and these Christian servants would share the gospel with them. And then sometimes when they when they captured cities, they just decide to settle right there, and and they'd settle near Christian people, and these people that they had settled on would begin to share the gospel with them, and eventually. They left their paganism, their, their polytheism to serve the one true God. Now, on the surface of it, these marauders, that was terrible. That was awful. But what the devil meant for evil, God used for good. God's able to do that, you know. God can take evil circumstances and use them for good. It's for all places. But, you know, it's so easy to become comfortable with the gospel right where you are. When the Gospels come to you. You know, did you know that in the mid-1700s, if you looked at a map of where Christianity was in the world, you would have seen it in Europe and on some of the coastlines of the Americas. And that was it. You know, and a lot of people were comfortable with that. But then a man named William Carey began to get a burden to bring the Gospel to people who had no access to it. And as a young pastor, he was sharing this, this vision in a meeting of other pastors. And a, 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 an older man who was presiding in the meeting interrupted him and said, Sit down, young man. If, when it pleases God to save the heathens, he can do it without your help. Well, that wasn't a godly thing to say. But William Carey, with the passion and the calling of God on his heart, went to India anyway. And was used tremendously in India to transform um, the country and bring the gospel there. I mean, you should look at his life. If you've never read a biology of his life, you should look it up. It's amazing. But he also sparked a movement that became known as the uh, great century of British missions that brought the gospel to all the countries of the world by the early 1900s. So that now if you looked at a map of where the gospel was, it was in every geopolitical country in the world. That's amazing. And this led to what was known as the great century of American missions, where the gospel has now gone to many, many, many people groups of the world, the subgroups of the world, different languages of the world. We're not there yet. We're not all done. But God has been doing and continues to do amazing things. It's for all places. 
Because it says in all places, those who have been scattered preach the word of God wherever they go. You know, even in places like Iran today, which is one of the most closed countries. I mean, a place where converting to Christianity is punishable by death. We're hearing reports of an amazing number of people coming to faith in Jesus. People who are looking at it are now saying that there may be as many as a million Christians in Iran today. That's amazing. It's for all places. You know, but it's so easy to become comfortable when the gospel has come to you. Now, here's where it's about to go sideways for a minute, all right? Get your seatbelt on, all right? And, uh... Maybe grab onto the pew for a second, right? Do you know where I think that Christians have become comfortable today? I mean, where people in our society are are comfortable with the gospel? Right? In the four walls of the church. That's where the gospel belongs. You should go there if you want to hear the gospel. That's where you should go. Uh, And that's where our society often says, you know, keep it there. Don't bring it out there. Keep it in there. Just go there and, you know, have your fun while you're there and then just just, just leave it there. Don't bring it out here. You know what? And uh, even sometimes some Christians get this idea. You know, the idea that, you know, the, the, the church building is where the spirit should move. The church building is where we should hear the gospel. The church building is where the gospel is proclaimed and where the gifts of the spirit operate. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. A place to gather is awesome. Right? A place to gather is vitally important. It's biblical. All through the, uh, the New Testament, from the very beginning, Christian believers sought a place to gather together. The first one was the temple. And then when they got kicked out of there, they met in homes. And we think they continued to meet in this large upper room as well. And then as they were scattered all over, they met in fields. They met by the river. They met in homes sometimes. Uh, uh, sometimes they met in synagogues when, when they were able to. Other times they were forced out of synagogues. Paul one time rented a lecture hall, a large lecture hall to hold meetings in. So Christians have always sought out a place to meet, to worship together and to hear the word of God and have the spirit move among us. Okay, That's good. That's vital. That's biblical. That's godly. What's not vital and not biblical and not godly is the idea that those things should stop at the four walls of the church. The idea that you should leave those things in the pew when you go out the doors. Because when the Christians in Jerusalem and Judea were happy and comfortable in their faith, God wanted others throughout the world to experience that same joy and salvation. When the Christians in Europe were happy and comfortable in their faith, God wanted the people of the entire world to experience that same joy as well. You know, and I believe that right here in Lancaster County, that that happiness, that joy that we all rightly experience inside the walls together, that God wants that same joyful salvation experience outside the walls as well. And he wants all of us to be his prophetic voice, not somebody else's prophetic voice, his prophetic voice through you in our communities and in the gateway of our culture. You know, and I know that, that this crisis that we're in right now has made it hard. You know, I, I admit that. It's become harder for us to do ministry and even outreach ministry outside the walls um, in an organized way, right? We've had uh, many of our ministries paused or limited. 
And we can't do prison ministry right now. Water Street Mission, we can't do that right now. The YWCA, a lot of those things are paused. Even the hospital. I can't even go visit sick people in the hospital right now. You know, and even our outreach events have had to change and adjust. And we're praying. I hope you pray with us. We are praying for every type of uh, new and different kind of outreach that we can do and that we can think of, right? And we're also praying that some of the restrictions on these things that we do will be lifted soon so that we can minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I wonder, I wonder if what God is doing today is going to look more and more like those verses we looked at in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 11 where it says that ordinary people proclaimed the word of God and spread the word of God wherever they went telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus resulting in a great number of people turning to the Lord you know I've already heard of a, of a few places where someone started, started the Bible study in their building just with a couple people and it started to grow you know what if everybody started the Bible study in their building you know uh things that God could do, or however God uses you prophetically. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you all bow with me for a moment in prayer? This outpouring is for all believers at all times, at all places. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to give you an opportunity right now, if you're here, or if you're watching online, or even if you're hearing me on the radio, and you don't know that you are good with God right now. Maybe um, you've never heard this idea before about God's grace and why Jesus died on the cross, and you were just hoping to be a good enough person or something like that, but the Bible says that there's no one good enough. You you can't be good enough to earn God's favor. God's holy, completely holy and sinless, and we're sinful. But the Bible says God did something about that. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It says He died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. And so if you're ready today, to say, you know what, God, I can't live life on my own. I need Jesus to be my Savior. I want to give my life to Him. Whether it's for the first time, or maybe you're someone who's been backslidden, and you used to serve God, but you've gone away from Him, and you just really haven't been serving Him at all anymore. Either way, if that's you, if you're here or even at home, would you just wave your hand at me and say, yeah, that's me. Amen. 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 Yeah, amen, amen. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. It's a prayer of beginning, a starting point kind of prayer. It's not a magic prayer or anything like that. This is the place where we start a relationship with Jesus, a lifelong walk of faith with Jesus. So would you all pray this prayer after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I confess I can't save myself. You're holy, and I'm sinful. But I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross. And I believe he rose again from the dead.
Jesus, please be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be filling me with the Holy Spirit. Help me walk in faith all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, that's just a starting point for an awesome, wonderful life and walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you? Whether you've been walking with him for five seconds now, whether you've been walking with him for five years or 50 years, God wants you to grow in your faith with him and to uh, uh, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. Worship with God's people and then let him fill you in your, wherever you go in life. In Jesus' name. Amen.